Good morning, everyone. Welcome to Woodburn Baptist Church. My name is Tim Harris. I am the pastor and delighted to welcome you, all of you in the overflow. God bless you. Welcome and thanks for worshiping with us today. Franklin Campus, Pastor Eric, I do love you. Pastor Eric has been ragging on me because he says I used to say I love him every Sunday and then I quit saying I love him. And so he's wondering if I love him and I love you, Pastor Eric, whether I say it or not, man, uh, I love you so much and I appreciate your work. God bless you. Everybody open your Bibles to Romans. Uh, Romans chapter 6, starting the first message series of the year, it's called uh, The Sinner in the Mirror, The Sinner in the Mirror. I said a couple of months ago that one of my real burdens for our church is that we become better, better. When I say I want us to be a better church, I don't mean better than other churches. We're not in the game of comparing ourselves to other people, other believers. We never do that, and God wouldn't have us do that. It's not about being better than others. It's about being better than we are now, understanding that the Christian life is supposed to be a process of becoming more and more like Christ every single day of our lives. I got saved when I was six years old. I'm going to be 46 in a few weeks now. That means 40 years of walking with Christ. There should be some sort of visible difference in me. I should be so much more like Christ than I was when I started out. But honestly, I'm not sure if I'm where I ought to be. And that's my concern. I don't always understand why. As much as I want to serve the Lord in the way I want to love him, I don't understand sometimes why I don't make the progress that I ought to make. Actually, I do understand. I just don't want to admit it. But maybe we can look at it together and find some courage in God's word together. Why is it that when we want to be better, we want to be a better husband, a better wife, a a better father, but better mother, want to be a better church member, a better worker, a better student, we want to continue to grow. At this time of January with New Year's resolutions, we make goals to become better, but often we abandon our goals a couple of weeks into the year. Why is that? Honestly, the answer to all of these questions, the answer to all of your problems comes back to a very, very simple fact. You're a sinner, and I am a sinner. We don't like to think of ourselves in those terms. We don't often talk about it, but we're going to talk about it. Open your Bibles to the book of Romans. We're going to be in chapter 6, but grab a Bible. If you don't have your Bible, steal the Bible from the person next to you and open up to the book of Romans. I want you to see what Paul does in Romans. I want to walk you through something for a moment. Open up to Romans chapter 3, verse 23. Paul is writing the book of Romans to Christians, so understand he's talking to Christians. And what he's actually doing is explaining the gospel, explaining what it means to be a Christian to Christians. And in doing so, he sort of walks them through the whole process. I want you to find yourself in this conversation by doing some jumping into some verses. Romans 3.23 says this, For everyone has, say the word, Sinned. Everyone has sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standard. Everybody, everybody, everybody sins. Romans chapter 5, verse 8, great verse. Here's what Paul says next. But God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. Jump over to Romans chapter 10, verse 9. Romans 10, 9. If you confess your mouth, 
with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Jump down to Romans 10 verse 13. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Paul's talking about how a person becomes a Christian. He's sharing the gospel, talking about the gospel with Christians. And I guess in one way or another, that's what I want to do over the next few Sundays. I want us to talk about what it means to be a Christian, what it means to be a sinner. And we're going to start in Romans chapter 6. We're going to start with verse 12. Again, Paul's in the middle of this great conversation about the gospel. Part of what he's already said is in Romans 5, 8, that God sent his son to die for us while we were still sinners. In other words, we have been made right with God. God forgives us our sins when we call upon his name and so become saved. And therefore, God is no longer keeping a record of our sins as Christians. That's the great news. It's the great news. When God forgives me, my sins are removed as far as east is from the west, the scripture says. He's no longer keeping up with my sins. So the question becomes, if my sins are forgiven and I'm a Christian and I'm going to heaven when I die, and if God's not keeping a record of my sins, why can't I just sin like crazy? Why can't I just go out and sin and enjoy myself? Well, sin is still sin, and this is where we jump in, Romans chapter 6, verse 12. Paul's talking to Christians about sin. Romans six twelve. Do not let sin control the way you live. Do not give in to sinful desires. Do not let any part of your body become an instrument of evil to serve sin. Instead, give yourselves completely to God. I've underlined that in my Bible. Underline it in yours. Give yourselves completely to God. For you were dead, but now you have new life. So use your whole body as an instrument to do what is right for the glory of God. You see that? Use your whole body as an instrument to do what is right for the glory of God. Sin is no longer your master, for you no longer live under the requirements of the law. Instead, you live under the freedom of God's grace. Well then, since God's grace has set us free from the law, does that mean we can go on sinning? Of course not. Don't you realize that you become the slave of whatever you choose to obey? Notice the choice there. Whatever you choose to obey... You can be a servant, a slave to sin, which leads to death. Or you can choose to obey God, which leads to righteous living. Thank God. Once you were slaves of sin, but now you wholeheartedly obey this teaching we have given you. Now you are free from your slavery to sin, and you've become slaves, servants to righteous living. Because of the weakness of your human nature... I'm using the illustration of slavery to help you understand all this. Previously, you let yourselves be slaves to impurity and lawlessness, which led even deeper into sin. Now you must give yourselves to be slaves to righteous living so that you will become holy. Understand? That's the goal of your whole life. This is why you live. You live in order to become holy. This is the purpose. Verse 20. When you were slaves to sin, you were free from the obligation to do right. And what was the result? You're now ashamed of the things you used to do, things that end in eternal doom. But now you are free from the power of sin and have become servants, slaves of God. Now you do those things that lead to holiness and result in eternal life. Verse 23, for the wages of sin is death. 
But the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. So, a man named Patrick Lawler, who is a construction worker, one day on the job, he, he got sort of hit in the mouth when a, a big power nailer, a big nail gun backfired, hit him in the mouth. It, it, it swelled up pretty good, and it caused the tooth to just ache and, and ache and, and ache. That night he went home, he put, he put ice on his mouth, he just felt like he maybe had broken that tooth, or somehow the, the toothache was horrible, it hurt all the way up into his head. But he iced it, he took a lot of ibuprofen, he did everything he could, but he never missed a day's work, he just kept continuing to complain about that tooth. He finally decided that ice cream was helping, and so he would eat ice cream. Ice cream would make his mouth cold, it tasted good, he just started eating ice cream, thinking that ice cream would somehow help that horrible, horrible toothache. Here's the thing, his wife's a dental hygienist at a dental office nearby, so one day she said, honey, just come on into work, let's x-ray that tooth and make sure there's not something wrong in there. You you might need the dentist to to do some work. So she took him in and she x-rayed that tooth that had been aching now for six days, six days, toothache. You know what she found when she looked at the x-ray? A nail. Remember I said he was hitting the mouth with a, with a nail driver, a, a big power nail driver? There was a four-inch nail, four-inch nail that went through his gum and up into his head. And he thought ice cream would help. <laughs> you understand? He really didn't understand what his problem was, and he was horribly underestimating the extent of his problem. He was thinking that something like ice cream would help. What he needed ultimately was a four-hour surgery, four-hour surgery to take care of the problem. I tell you the story about Patrick Lawler because honestly, you and I are a lot like him in that we never really fully understand what our true problem is. We never get that part. We somehow always underestimate what is wrong with us. And some of us don't even think that anything is wrong with us. I promise you there's something wrong with you. There's something wrong with me. And as different as we can be, honestly, we all have the very, very same problem. It is sin. It is sin. Your problem, your root problem is sin. I know that the problem expresses itself in many, many ways. Right now, your real complaint might be about your marriage. Your real complaint might be about the relationships in your life that never seem to go right. Right now, your big complaint might be the way things seem to be going in the church or perhaps the way things are going at work. We can complain and we can find a lot of different areas to lay the problem, but honestly, there's always only ever one problem in your life and is the root of everything else. The problem is sin. You are a sinner. I am a sinner. We are all sinners. And because we have the same problem, honestly, we all therefore have the same answer. This is the truth of the gospel. This is why everybody gets saved in exactly the same way. This is why there are not multiple paths to God, as some people like to say these days. This is why not all world religions are equal. It's just not that way, because the problem is our sin, and there is only one thing in the world that takes care of our sin problem, and that is the Savior. We need a Savior. So if we're going to diagnose this problem correctly, if we're going to talk about sin, let's define it. What is sin? 
Now, with the children, very frequently we, we define sin in concrete terms because kids think concretely. And with the children, we frequently teach kids that sin is doing bad things. And honestly, that's true. Bad things are sin, and whenever you're doing a bad thing, you're sinning. So it's absolutely true. We always give kids the concrete answer that sin is doing bad things. But honestly, in Scripture, sin is much more complicated and in some ways more abstract. You need to sort of grow up into a larger understanding of what it means to be a sinner. Later in the book of Romans, Paul defines sin in this this way. He will say that everything that does not come from faith is sin. That's Paul's definition, Romans chapter 14. Everything that does not come from faith is sin. Everything that does not come from faith. Now, faith, we know, is, is a dependence upon God. It's a basic relationship of trust, dependence upon the Lord. And the scripture says without faith, it is impossible to please God. So what Paul says is everything that does not come from that relationship of ultimate trust in God, everything that doesn't come from faith is sin. So understand a few things. That means sin is much more than simply doing bad things. If it's everything that does not come from faith, then sin begins to get to our attitudes Sin becomes to get toward our our basic relationship toward God. And the truth of the matter is, if you do not have a living relationship with God, if you have not put your faith and trust in God, then everything you do is sin. You get that part? If you do not have a relationship of faith in God, then everything you do is sin. Even the so-called good things you do. Do you understand that everything that does not come from faith, Paul says, is sin. Therefore, that's why scripture says that faith, it is only by faith that we become saved. Only by faith that we have our sins removed. It begins with that relationship of dependence, relationship of trust called faith. Everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved, the scripture says. So that's why outside of a relationship of faith, then there's no hope for you. You're lost, you're dying, you're condemned in in your sin. Everything that does not come from faith is sin. And then those of us who are Christians, we feel safe, therefore, because we live a life of faith. I have put my faith in Christ, and most of you have as well. So therefore, I know that my sins are forgiven. I know that God is no longer keeping a record of my sins. I know that when God looks at me according to Scripture, he sees me as if I were as righteous and perfect and holy as Christ is. He sees me with Christ's holiness, even though I don't have that yet. It's what he gives me. It's the beauty and gift of salvation. It's beautiful, but it's not mine yet. And that's exactly why in the book of Romans, Paul has to talk about sin with Christians. He has to go back and explain the gospel to Christians because we still misunderstand the whole sin thing. We misunderstand the very simple part that even though God is no longer holding us guilty for our sin, our sin still has consequences in our lives. Even though I may no longer have to stand up and give an account for everything I do because God forgives my sin, the sin in my life continues, continues to have consequences. Notice what the scripture says. Verse 23, the wages of sin is death. Notice how many times in these few verses, Paul continues to link sin with death. Do you understand that sin has consequences? 
Very, very important consequences. So I guess you could define sin in terms of being not, not just doing bad things, but sin is that attitude or, or that offensive attitude toward God which always results in death. Or you could say it always results in injury. Injury to yourself and often injury to others. But you've got to understand that sin always brings injury. And that's why God wants to deliver us from sin, deliver us from death. It always has consequences, and they are always bad and ultimately eternal. Do you understand? Sin has consequences. That's why in my life as a believer, as a Christian, in my life as a pastor and a husband and a father, in my life, sin continues to be a problem. Even though I am a Christian, and even though God forgives all of my sins, my sin continues to have consequences in my life. Spiritual consequences, physical consequences, relational consequences. Sin continues to be my problem. And that is why in the Christian life, we have to work on a continual all-out assault upon the sin in our lives. I have to continue a life of confession and repentance. I have to continue to ask the Holy Spirit to search my heart because I want to pull the sin out of my life by the roots. Do you understand? It has no place in a believer's life. It still destroys. It still injures. It interrupts what God is trying to do in your life. So sin is still your problem. It's still my problem. We're still sinners. We're sinners saved by grace, but yet we still sin. And the sin is still something that we have to work by the power of the Holy Spirit to remove from our lives. We're not earning salvation. We're trying to make progress toward holiness. Do you understand? I know y'all are already mad at me today because I called you sinners. You think I've insulted you. Nobody calls you a sinner anymore, and you don't like to be called a sinner. And you're sitting in church trying your best to look like you're not a sinner. Can I break the news to you? We all know you are. You're not fooling us. Why don't you look at the person next to you and say, you ain't fooling nobody? Go ahead, tell them. You ain't fooling nobody. We know that you're a sinner. I'm a sinner. We all are. But you don't like that, do you? You don't like to think of yourself in terms of a sinner that needs the power of God, that needs a Savior. You just like to think of, of yourself as a, as a basically good person who occasionally makes mistakes, right? You want to think of yourself as basically a good person who just sometimes makes mistakes. So you're not really a sinner. You would be what Andy Stanley calls a mistaker, more like a mistaker, You're basically a good person that just makes mistakes. If that were the case, if your problem were just that you're basically good but you sometimes mess up, then then honestly, you could save yourself, therefore, by just being a better person, couldn't you? In other words, we could make a list today of all the New Year's resolutions. We could just work on all of the mistakes in your life, the, the, the mistakes that you tend to make. And if you could clean all those mistakes up, then by the end of the year, you could save yourself. You could do that. If your problem is that you're just basically good, but you sometimes mess up, then all we got to do is, is stop you from messing up. It's never going to work. Are you listening? It's never going to work because you're not just a mistaker. You're not basically good. You're basically a sinner. Basically a sinner. 
In other words, your whole life, you're, you're bent toward sinning. You're bent toward an attitude that tends to pull away from God. You're bent toward a life that tends to always move in the direction away from God. It, it is something that we call the sin nature. It's just a part of being human. Your problem is that you are a sinner, not a mistaker. And there are not enough New Year's resolutions in the world to clean up your life. There are no resolutions that you can make that can solve the root problem of sin in your life. And sin has consequences. Back to the verse, verse 23. The wages of sin is, say the word, death. Death. Sin always brings injury. Always brings injury. In the Garden of Eden, God said to Adam and Eve, the moment you sin, you will die. We read the story, we see that they took the forbidden fruit and they didn't immediately die. And so there's this part of us that reads this verse and say, well, sin leads to death. That's a little bit strong. That's not exactly what happens. I know people have sinned for years and years and years, and I do too. But you understand, it's not always immediate. It's a spiritual death that is immediate. It's a physical death that can take years and years and years. But you are not going to escape the consequences of your sin. The wages of sin is death. Somebody tell me what wages are. What are wages? You love wages for the most part. What are they? Yeah, it's your pay. You work 40 hours a week, 20 hours a week, whatever it is that you work. You work, you, you, you take out the trash, you do all your chores at home, and at the end of that time, you get your wages. Wages are what you earn. The people that you work for, they take really, really important care to make sure that you are paid what you have earned. They keep up with your hours. They negotiate with you how much you'll earn per hour. And at the end of a work period, you will receive your wages. It's exactly what you've earned. And the wages of sin is death. In other words, exactly what we earn by sinning is death. And if we die in our sins, we will die eternally. This is what scripture says. Eternal condemnation, the wages of sin is death. It's exactly what you earn. It's what you've got coming to you. But notice the rest of the verse. This is the beautiful thing. But the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Notice the comparison there. Sin brings the wages of death, but Christ brings the gift, gift of life, yeah, gift. We've just come through the Christmas season. I would say a, a number of you have, have opened a gift in, in the last few weeks. Gifts are amazing. Gifts are wonderful. Because a gift, if it's a true gift, has nothing to do with what you deserve. It just has to do with somebody's love for you. Nothing to do with what you can do to earn it. All you can do is take it, receive it, and open it with gratitude. And this is what salvation is like, the scripture says. It is a gift, a free gift. So let's be real honest. I am not a Christian today because I'm a good person. I don't even know if I'm a good person. I don't even know what a good person would be. The only way to gauge if I'm a good person is to compare myself to to some of you. And honestly, looking across this crowd, I could pick out a few of you and compare myself to you, and I look really good. I could go down some of these pews and pick out people, compare myself to you, and I look really good. But on the other hand, I could go down some of these pews and I could compare myself to others in this room, and I would not look so good. 
Do you understand? We like to think in terms of comparing ourselves to other people. So when we think about sin, the, the, big, the big idea is, that, well, I'm really not as bad as I could be. There are certainly people worse than me. There are Christians in this church worse than me. That's how some people think. Really not as bad as I could be. But don't you understand? The fact of sin isn't really that you're not as bad as you could be. Sin means that you are never truly as good as you should be. It's not about comparing yourself to other people. It's about comparing yourself to Christ and his perfect holiness. It's a standard by which you will always fall short. That's why salvation is a gift. Forgiveness is a gift. The fact that I can be seen with the righteousness of Christ, the fact that the Holy Spirit comes and lives inside of my heart has nothing to do with what kind of person I am, everything to do with the person Christ is. Nothing to do with what I can do for myself, everything to do with what has been done for me through Christ. All I must do is receive the gift in faith, receive salvation. And when that happens, notice what the scripture says. Go back to verse 19 with me. Now, now that you're a Christian, now that you have believed, now you must give yourselves to be servants to righteous living so that you will become holy. You see, it's not just pray, get your sins forgiven, and then call yourself a Christian for the rest of your life. That's not what salvation is. It's a new life. It's a whole way of living that leads to holiness. And that means in my life, I do have to battle against the sin in my heart every single day. And I do, brothers and sisters, I do. I try to identify this sin in my life and pull it out by the roots. And it is not an easy thing. It's not simple at all. It's difficult. I don't like to see myself as I truly am. I don't like to call my stuff sin. I'd rather call it a mistake. Or I'd rather just say I can't help it. Or I wouldn't probably sin so much if, if everybody wouldn't just get on my nerves. You understand how we can continue to blame the world? It's my sin. It's my sin. And I have to call it sin. And I have to turn from it and I have to pull it out by the roots and then serve holiness by the power of the spirit I have to pursue holiness doing the right thing following Christ letting his image be formed in me I love how many times in this passage Paul uses the word wholeheartedly or completely. Back in verse 13, give yourself completely to God. Sin is no longer your master. He uses this marvelous sort of analogy of the way you used to live as a sinner and the way you live now as a believer. And he sort of uses that same analogy, the analogy of slavery, the analogy of serving something. You got to serve somebody, he would say. And in your old life, you used to serve sin, but now you're serving Christ. The message is, and it's a simple message you've got to serve Christ with at least the intensity you used to serve sin. Do you understand? You've got to serve Christ wholeheartedly, completely. Now, have you ever watched people sin? People typically love to sin. I don't know what New Year's Eve party you went to, but it could have been one of those parties where people in their sin seem to be having a glorious time. People who sin tend to go for it with everything they've got. 
Because sin somehow has that appeal. It's sort of an, an addictive sort of draw. And people will sin with their whole heart. You ever seen anybody completely mixed up in, in, in alcohol, completely mixed up in, in, in immoral sexual relationships? You ever seen anybody completely mixed up in gambling? I'm telling you, it's like slavery, but they go at it with their whole heart. And Paul says, as a Christian, you've got to pour that kind of intensity toward holiness. You've got to put that kind of effort, that kind of energy, that kind of complete devotion to pursuing the things Christ has for you. Started out by talking about what it would take for you and me to become better. Better than we are. Better than we've been as Christians. It comes right down to this, brothers and sisters. You've got to pursue Christ wholeheartedly. You've got to pour real intensity into doing the things Christ wants you to do. You've got to understand that the goal of your life is not to make more money. The goal of your life is not to find somebody to marry. The goal of your life is not just to raise kids that go to college and become productive citizens. The goal of your life is to become like Christ. This is where your focus is to be. If you will focus on holiness, focus on the Spirit's work in your life, everything else will fall into place. Your aim is holiness. And you have to pursue Christian holiness with intensity, with devotion. Paul says with your whole heart, your whole self. Unfortunately, a lot of us as Christians, we don't think like this. We call ourselves Christians and then we simply live our lives and we pursue the things that we like to do. And sometimes we pursue things with great intensity, but rarely are we seen pursuing Christ with anything that you could call true intensity. I'm feeling like it's time to get serious at Woodburn Baptist Church. I'm feeling like it's time for us to get serious as Christians. I'm feeling like this church just continues to grow bigger, and in many ways, we're somehow blinded by the fact that our church is so healthy, that we have money in the bank and committees that function, and that we have so many smiling faces and people that we love and a campus in Franklin. These things are great, but you understand, the real aim of Christ in our lives is to make you and me holy. To make us better Christians. And and I'm really sort of, I'm getting tired as pastor of continuing to think about our church growing bigger when we're not growing better. When we don't necessarily have more and more men who are just on fire for Christ. I'm starving to death for a congregation led by men who are on fire for Christ. Where are our men? Where are they? Any given Sunday, do a head count. It's more women here than men. Where are the men? Sunday night's worship tonight, Franklin Campus, Woodburn Campus, take a look around. It'll be mostly women. Where are the men? What are you pouring your life into? Because my hunch is it's not Christ. What is it? Where are the women in our congregation? Where are the women who love holiness and love purity and, and, and just simply love being a woman of God? Where are those women? We have women who gossip. We have women who pursue all sorts of things. Women who are busy, busy, busy. But where in the world are the women focused completely on Christ? Where? 
Where are the teenagers on fire for Christ? We've got teenagers who pour intensity into studying for the ACT, and who pour intensity into getting ready for the ball game, the soccer game, the football game, the, the, the track meet. We have kids who are intense about everything except Christ. Where are the teenagers in our church who are on fire for Christ? We're calling ourselves a church? Where are the people on fire for Christ? Where are the people who are disgusted by the sin in their own heart, disgusted enough to make some real changes? Where are those people? Because aren't we Christians? As Paul says, aren't we somehow living some sort of new life? We used to be dead, but now we're alive. So where is the life? Of course your sins are forgiven. So are mine. Praise God my sins are forgiven. And yet I still sin. And that sin continues to have a consequence in my life every day. Every problem that Casey and I have in our marriage, it's related to to one of our sin. Every fault I have as a parent raising my son, it comes down to my sin. Sin is still my problem. It still has consequences. When I give a place to sin in my heart, I am not the pastor God called me to be. God help me. I'm not the pastor because of sin in my heart. And the same is true for you. Your sin's forgiven, but it still has consequences. Consequences that you're living with every single day. I don't care much about how much bigger this church gets. I'm being very honest. I just don't care. Because until we get better, I think getting bigger could be a horrible thing. If we simply multiply more and more Christians who are lukewarm, More and more people who think that having their name on a church roll and showing up on Sunday somehow satisfies God's purpose in their life. If we just continue to spread more and more lukewarm Christians, then I can't imagine we're doing anything like God, what God wants us to do. That can't be our purpose. I think God wants us to be better, better Christians. And it starts right here. It starts with rooting out the sin in your life. You're a sinner. So am I. By God's grace, I'm forgiven. And I do not have to earn my salvation. It's given to me as a gift. But I cannot live a life of sin. I cannot go on sinning and call myself a Christian. I cannot give a place to sin in my heart. At the same time, say that Christ is the Lord, master of my So what do we need to do? What do you need to do? You've got to start looking at the sin in your life, just like I do. And you've got to start calling it sin. That, that love of gossip that you have, that desire to run people down, that desire to criticize and complain, don't you understand? That's sin, and it's poison in your life. It's poison. You've got to give God control of your mouth. That dirty, filthy mouth that you have at school and you call yourself a Christian, don't you understand? You've got to do something about that. You call yourself a married man, a Christian man, but right now you are so involved with internet pornography and nobody knows this because you're so good at clearing your tracks. It's still poison in your life. It's destroying you. It's killing you. Don't you see that? When are you going to take that seriously and do something about the sin in your life? When are you going to do something about that man at work that you continue flirting with? You've never crossed the line yet, but you continue to walk right up to it. Don't you understand that sin, that unfaithfulness in your life is going to kill your marriage? Do you not care? 
we've got to change. We've got to be better. Not so that Christ will love us, not so that we can be saved, but because he loves us and because we are his people. We are not going to give sin a place in our lives. We're not going to let sin rule over us. Christ is going to rule in our hearts. But not as long as there is sin. Let's start this year off right. Let's start with confession and repentance and genuine pursuit of holiness in our lives. If you're going to make a list of resolutions, why don't you start with the to-don't list, the list of things you're going to stop doing. Why don't you just start with one thing, one thing that you'll stop doing. Call it sin and turn away from it. Make your list. Put the things on it you've got to stop doing. Make a list of things you need to start doing in order to pursue holiness. I'm asking you, I'm begging, I'm pleading with you. Make the changes necessary in your life so that you can live your life in pursuit of holiness, in passionate, intense pursuit of Christ. He is all that matters. Pray with me. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your mercy. We thank you for mercy. Because God, we're all sinners. Even those of us in this house who who have called upon your name and received the gift of forgiveness for our sins, Lord, and yet we continue, Lord, to sin. Lord, I pray that you would break our heart, that you would make us truly begin to mourn for the sin, the the dirt, the, the rot in our own hearts, Lord, so that it can be removed and so that you can replace it with holiness. God, you created us for holiness. God, I pray that you would make us so uncomfortable. I pray that the power of your spirit would so convict hearts that we cannot continue to live lives as hypocrites, that we cannot continue to live lives that that take your name, Lord, but at the same time continue to pursue sin. Oh, God, make us so miserable in our sin that we would look for the peace that comes only in Christ. I pray that, Lord, today before this day is over, before this worship service is over, Christians... We'll come back to you. Let you make their hearts clean and pure again. Set our feet back on a path toward holiness. Lord, I pray for sinners in this house who've never yet placed their faith in you, never called upon your name, never received the gift of salvation. I pray that today is the day for them, Lord, where their sins are taken away and remembered no more. Their life becomes a pursuit of grace freedom, holiness. God, as we open our eyes and begin to sing, let our hearts remain firmly in your presence. Let us respond, Lord, to your voice and your voice only. Tell us what we must do, Lord. Give us the courage to obey. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.